So evening everyone. Um, as some of you might know, I was away on a um, sailing trip last week. It's not the main thing I want to talk about. I want to share some of the um, experiences of it. Um, I went away with a friend, but he got seasick and had to leave um, fairly soon. Bailed out at, at Newcastle, so I was by myself for a week, basically. And um, a lot of the idea people have of sailing sometimes, you know, which you see in the photos of these blue skies and, you know, peaceful seas and people drinking champagne on the deck, you know. It's not quite like that all the time. And um, the, the nature of sailing as an adventure, you know, when you're out there on the ocean by yourself, is that the, the ocean has many, many different moods and um, can be bright and cheerful. But when it's overcast and raining, you know, the, the sea can look very kind of sombre, you know, and, and moody. And, um, and, and that's what your experience is. And, uh, and then the, the, the experience of being out there alone by yourself, there with no other human beings around, you know, at all, you're really connected to the, to the wildlife, you know. And so I had whales going up with me, breaching out of the water, and, and the, the spume coming up that you'd see a few hundred metres away. And they keep their distance from you because they've got, they probably got their sonar and they, can, they get around you. But the dolphins come right up to you and they swim under the boat and come out the other side and check you out and so on. And, and uh, when you're out there by yourself, you get this really great sense of fellow feeling, you know, with, with other mammals, particularly whales and dolphins. And um, your heart leaps up, you know, when, when you have those experiences. Um, but in, in, in another way, it can be quite a, um, a lone kind of experience. It does, that it's, it's worthwhile for all of us, you know, if you've got the opportunity to actually to be able to spend a week alone um, by yourself. And uh, one of the things that merges out of that, one is that you can enjoy being alone, and the other thing that came out of it, which is the main point I want to share of this, is that it leaves you with an appreciation um, of the relationships that you have in your life um, when you're away from them for a time, you know, so you, you can appreciate your marriage partner or, and you appreciate your sangha, you know, to know your spiritual community. And you realise as a, as a human being and as a, a human being the need to be socially connected, you know, and in, in meaningful relationships with other people. And that's, that's the other thing that comes out of that alone experience, that appreciation of that sense of community and connection that you have with other people, which was something I experienced as well. But the main thing I wanted to talk about tonight, which came out of a, a Dharma conversation I had with someone who said to me that, when you start to do something like Zen practice or Dharma practice or you read about psychology and so on, is that you become more acutely aware of suffering in the world, your own suffering and the suffering of other people. And, and in some ways that's more painful. That there's a kind of, there's a truth in the saying that kind of ignorance is bliss in a way. 
Um, but when you become much more aware of it, it, in a sense, it becomes more painful. In the same way that when psychology students go through psychology training and learn all about psychopathology and so on, and, and get a better understanding of why they're so screwed up, <laughs> it's even more painful. <laughs> um, but it's the same kind of experience. <clears throat> and uh, yes, there is something true about that, that when you become much more conscious as a human being, um, that the pain, in a sense, of suffering becomes more acute. And um, to put that in a, a Dharma context, to put a bit more language in, around it, um, in the um, Wheel of Life and Death, you know, the Tibetan mandala, you have the different realms that people go into, which are really just psychological realms that we all go into. And um, when people are caught up in the hungry ghost realm, they're just, they're just, they're not, they're suffering, but they're not really stepping back and being aware of suffering. They just, they just want to get the next thing into their belly that's going to fill them up. Or if people are in the fighting demon realm, they're just interested in the next point that they can win, or the next thing that they can win and defeat someone. Or if, if people are in that sort of, sort of, sort of dull kind of animal realm, they're just interested in being safe, protecting their territory, being with familiar things, and they don't go outside of that comfort zone. Or if you're in the hell realm, you're just, you're just focused on the next frightening thing that's going to happen, how you're going to have to defend yourself, or getting angry and being paranoid, whatever. So all of those, in, when, when it, we're predominantly, or people who are predominantly in those experiences, they're suffering, but they're not actually focused on, is there a way out of this? They're just surviving kind of thing. Whereas what the human realm is in that particular um, visual map is the human realm is considered to be the place where um, there's, there's, in a sense, the best opportunity to, to see into the nature of suffering and to be released from it in some way or to, for it to be transformed in some way. And at least the human realm is, um, has its own form of suffering, but at least it's kind of a position of stability. You know. But what, what characterises the human realm, which is the human condition, is um, someone who's in that position, like the person I was having the conversation with, says it's like you're, you're aware of suffering in that human realm, you're sensitised to it. But you haven't, you haven't transformed it. You haven't actually become liberated from it. And so it's that kind of acutely painful self-consciousness. And what goes along with it as well is this kind of obsessive overthinking of trying to find some way to strategize yourself out of it. So, OK, I, I recognize I'm suffering. I can see what I do to create it. Now, how do I get out of it? And where, where people a lot of people actually get stuck in Dharma practice is that they get to that human realm point and then they're, they're actually caught up in trying to think their way out of it. And so they read book after book on Buddhism and Zen, you know, they, and they, 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 they get all the kind of 
intellectual architecture in place and so on, they can know it really thoroughly, but their lives aren't necessarily transformative. Um, because that's part of the human condition, to think, to think that you can think your way out of it with a strategy. Um, and that's where a lot of people get stuck. There's probably only about 12, 12 books you need to read on Dharma, and then they're just repetitious after that, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. And you won't, it's not that complicated. You, you get the message, and then, and then the next step on would be to actually practice it, rather than reading book after book after book. Well, it depends on the motivation with which you read the books. You might read them searching for an answer that's going to make you feel better, or you could just read them like you read novels because you just find them interesting to read. Right? But if, you, if you're constantly reading books on the Dharma, trying to search for something in the book, then there's a problem because it indicates that you're trying to think your way out of it. You, you'll, you won't think your way out of it. You won't think your way out of suffering. That you'll create more suffering. And so the next step in the process, okay, you become aware of suffering and how you may create suffering and how there is suffering in the world. And then if you're strategizing, then in a sense what goes along with strategizing is there's a place called Nirvana. And if I work it out, then I'll, I'll get to the Nirvana place, which is really the the essence of all religions, that's what they all sell, you know, there's a, there's a better place to go to rather than the one here. Mm -hmm. And if you're just more, you know, um, if you're faithful enough and devoted enough and practice enough, that's where you'll get to. But where you really start to mature in practice is when you get to the point where you see that, to use Buddhist terms, that nirvana is samsara. Mm -hmm. that that the, the place of liberation is, is right now. And it's not something you've got to think about. It's just something that you've got to experience. And what you're doing is that to, to take that next step in maturing is, in a sense, to give up all your strategies. And, and that's exactly what is the message in that um, reading of Joko's that we do quite frequently called The Cocoon of Pain. She goes through all the, all the different strategies that human beings use to try and get out of pain and suffering mm -hmm. by trying to work it out, trying to control other people, um, trying to be a people pleaser, trying to be the star, mm -hmm. um, just being a pleasure seeker, just avoid conflict. You know. All of those things are all the strategies. And what she says so clearly in that, in that reading it's not until you give up all the strategies that you're actually going to mature in your practice. And, and then, when you give up the strategies, you realise that, um, that that's when you get more of that experience that there is, a, there is nirvana in the samsara. Mm -hmm. There's still suffering, but there's a, there's a contentment that you can experience within it because you're not searching for something outside the moment. Um, there's a, a word or a phrase I came across which I'd never heard before because my, um, I bailed out of Christianity about age seven. And, uh, so you, you, if, you, if you're brought up as a Christian, you may be familiar with these words. But the Latin is um, via dolorosa. And via dolorosa means 
the way of sorrow or the, the way of suffering. And it's actually the, the road in, it's the name of the road in Jerusalem where Christ carried the cross up onto the hill where he was crucified. And that's the name of it, Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And so as human beings, we all walk that road. That's, that's part of the experience. Um, but there's a way in which we can do it where there's a, we're not trying to escape unpleasantness or pain, as Joko says. We've given up the strategies that we can, we can actually, there's a joy infused in that sadness. That we, we walk the way of joy and we walk the way of sorrow at the same time. Or we, we may, one may be more than the other. But there's a sense of peace or contentment in the way that we walk down that road. Um, it's not the tormented one that we have when we're a hungry ghost or a, a fighting demon or in a hell realm. So that is the way of maturation in practice, is to actually, not just to know the words, but to actually start to experience a sense of contentment in the midst of, of difficulty that we have in our life.